So I have a serious apology to make. <laughs> Why? Um, so last week, I swear to you, I put it in my notes. But we were talking and we were having a good time and I missed it completely. I never mentioned that Maggie Smith was in Secret Garden. Oh my gosh. I know. I totally forgot about it. It was on my list. It was like right when I was talking about Hook and we were talking about a couple other movies. God, of Misselthwaite Manor. I know. (laughs) I just, I was like, I need to say it because I need people to know that I actually did write it down, especially because you love a secret garden. I do love secret garden. And I was like, God damn it. (laughs) Allie, while I was, while I was editing it is when I realized. Yeah. Oh, terrible. I did not catch that at all last week. (laughs) Whoops. So I'm sorry, everybody. If you were waiting for the moment, we missed, I I missed the moment. We missed things a lot. Yeah. I'm sure I'm going to miss a good bit of my story. I mean, uh, how could you not? <laughs> There's so much not? to talk about. Uh, but yeah, way, I need like paper to take notes. What am I doing? Oh, yeah. But we're not here to talk about last week's episode. We're here to talk about this week's episode of Herstory. On the rocks. With Katie. <laughs> and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance but keep in mind we're drinking the entire time and not historians nope we just (laughs) talked to a historian we did and she's not from here Mm -hmm. from the u.s but wrote a book about the u.s and then implied that we might know more about it than her and i was like yeah "Yeah, i was like i right do not she's like well you know (laughs) yeah i was like do i (laughs) <laughs> do I know? My school wasn't real. I don't know anything. <laughs> it's not even accredited. No, it's not. <laughs> it's like, I think it is. You can't give out high school diplomas if you're not accredited. I don't know. <laughs> One of our students went down to Texas and they did not accept his credit. Oh, no. Shush. <laughs> start over. That's crazy. But anyways, um, <laughs> but you're here. You're listening to us. But you're busy. You're putting suntan lotion on because you are a smart person. You're taking care of yourself. <laughs> you're taking care of your skin. Um, or you're Wendy Peppercorning some boys. You're like rubbing the lotion true. on on purpose. Which is weird. Because um, <laughs> they, were, they were little baby children. Yeah. <laughs> you have suntan lotion all over your hands. You don't want to put it all over your phone to look up what these women look like. Sure. So we're going to describe them for you. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to stop putting on suntan lotion. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing, and what do they look like? <laughs> I'm doing the Spice Girls. Yay. I'm so excited. Okay, so these are five British women with five very different curated looks. <laughs> so we have Sporty or Mel C, who has long brown hair, typically in a high ponytail. She's most often in tight athletic pants and a sports bra of sorts. Posh Spice, or at the time, Victoria Adams, who had a short, straight bob ungodly tight mini dresses usually in black she was like the serious spice girl Mm -hmm. and very very high heels then we have ginger spice jerry hollowell who had red hair uh was usually in some sort of union jack flag outfit and had these like 
platform pleather knee-high boots that she wore a lot. There's Baby Spice, or Emma Bunton, who had blonde pigtails, lots of lace and pink and soft outfits, like a little sexy baby doll dress. <laughs> and then, of course, Scary Spice, Mel B, um, who's a black British woman, lots of uh, leopard and zebra mm-hmm. print, usually wore her hair natural, which was very different for the 90s. Um, and, I mean, she was just a million different looks platform Mm -hmm. shoes fluorescent colors like crazy outfits with like zippers and buttons (laughs) in weird places lots of pleather these girls just picture it in your head yeah take yourself back to the 90s and just drink them up (laughs) i love them so much if you cannot tell already i am a massive spice girls fan (laughs) massive Who are you doing and what do they look like? So I am doing the women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Woo! They were young, athletic, pretty white women. Their uniforms were a one-piece short skirted flared tunic with a team patch at the center of the chest. They had a pale, like, pastel base color and darker corresponding colors for the belt, hat, and knee-high socks. The first four ever team colors were green for Kenosha, yellow for Racine, blue for South Bend, and peach for Rockford. (laughs) Players had to have their makeup done. They had to have their hair curled and pinned for the game. It could not be shorter than their ears. Um, In fact, one girl was kicked off of the team for getting a short haircut fucked up um and of course they did have sturdy cleats since they were playing very real baseball albeit in inefficient skirts (laughs) that's amazing Mm -hmm. oh i love this okay so tell me what i am drinking for these american baseball league babies okay so this is called a change of base oh cute (laughs) cute 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 so it is white rum peach liqueur had to put a little peach in there lime juice mint pineapple juice and you top the whole thing off with club soda (laughs) cheers cheers Mm, it's nice and fruity and refreshing (laughs) i love it uh so what do you know about the A-A-G-P-B-L, a.k.a. the basis for A League of Their Own. <laughs> yeah, so I know um, this took place during the time of World War II, I believe, when the men were uh, in the military, which uh, women did want to join the military and they were not allowed to, So, uh, or in combat flight. Um, I know that the girls kind of took over the professional sports and they were playing real baseball, not mm-hmm. softball. But I think most people's introduction and base knowledge is in the movie A League of Their Own, yeah. where you really um, get some personal connections with some of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was somebody from the Peaches for Halloween one year. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So I think that everybody's kind of base knowledge is around that. And then mm-hmm. I have this little kid book that I used to read to my daughters when they were little called Players in Pigtails. Mm-hmm. That was like a fun like picture book for kids if you have young kids. Yeah. I love it. So, yeah, I feel like everybody knows a little bit, but there were a lot of things that I was learning throughout the research process that, you know, maybe were not the way it was in the movie or, and and of course now there's an Amazon Prime uh, show that we're going to talk about that really gets further into like the real history of the women. Like it's a Mm -hmm. lot more true to form as to like 
maybe some of the people that weren't represented in the move the first movie were more represented in the show okay um so we're gonna get into that um my sources for this are the based on a true story podcast they had a lot of great information the aagpbl website wikipedia the baseball hall of fame website there was also a couple different websites that had like great articles um i should have written down the authors and i I forgot to, so if you want to know, let me know. Um, but yeah, there is, I used, usually I can pick like a couple sources. I had so many sources for this because I wanted to know about the real stories of the various women, like what was true, what wasn't. And so, yeah, they were, I used a lot of uh, sources for this. <laughs> um, but let's get it. And, and it, yeah, let's get into it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> There's so many points at which we could start this story, but I think I'll start off in 1987. Direct Dear, sorry. Direct Dear? Direct It's a new title. It's a new one. One you've never um, heard of. <laughs> Director Penny Marshall, a veteran of film and screen, was working on her hit movie, Big, starring Tom Hanks, when she came across a 30-minute PBS made-for-TV documentary. Nothing inspires you more, honestly. No. <laughs> it was about the AAGPBL, a terrible acronym that stood for the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Penny couldn't believe that she had never heard of this before, so she immediately contacted the film's creators, Kelly Candell and Kim Wilson, to collaborate with the scriptwriters, Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gantz. Terrible names. <laughs> Lots of names. On producing a screenplay for 20th Century Fox. But when Fox read it, they passed. They did not think that anyone was interested in a movie about girls playing sports. <laughs> Big mistake. Huge. But Sony. Yeah, speak for yourself, Fox. I know. <laughs> but Sony Pictures was eager and picked it up immediately. And this would, of course, become the legendary film from 1992, A League of Their Own. And this, this uh, director just went back to back Hanks, huh? Yeah. Good. <laughs> Loves a Tom Hanks. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> and since the film is obviously based on the very real AAGPBL, we will be going through the history of the league and pointing out some of the discrepancies between the movie and what actually happened. So the film starts off with the message that the AAGPBL was created to replace men's baseball because they were off at war. Hmm. This is slightly true, but not completely true. So men were absolutely being shipped overseas to fight in World War II, but it was mainly affecting the minor leagues who were being seriously disrupted. Um, some major league players did go off and fight. Some of them joined the military leagues, uh, which were there to kind of boost soldiers' morale. Sure. Um, but quite a few did stay back to help keep the MLB going, um, even on order of FDR himself. He wrote a public uh, letter saying how important it was to keep baseball alive in America. Um, he was like, we cannot let the MLB just stop. He said, during a time when everything is about the war, it's important for Americans just to have a few hours to enjoy our national pastime. And, and sports are like, bring you hope exactly. and like pride in your city and like, mm -hmm. you know, things like that that you need when you're like literally dealing with no money and everybody dying. Yep, exactly. So I think like 
everybody thinks that the MLB just shut down and there was no men's baseball, yeah. but that wasn't quite true. Okay. Um, but in the beginning when things were still up in the air, so all these boys are getting, you know, sent off to war, it made a man named Philip K. Wrigley, chewing gum mogul and owner of the Chicago Cubs, <laughs> nervous that this was going to start affecting the major leagues. So he asked a man named Ken Sells, who was assistant to the Chicago Cubs general manager, to head a committee to come up with ideas on how they can keep parks open during the war. So they settled on, let the ladies play. And in 1943, the All-American Girls Softball League emerged. And since the MLB was still going, as we mentioned earlier, this league was designed to fill in the gaps that the minor league was originally there to kind of fill. Got it. So... They were figuring, well, the stadiums are sitting empty while the teams are at away games, so why don't we let the girls play in those times so that we're not wasting 50% of the year? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so did usually the minor leagues were playing in these stadiums, I, I guess? I believe so. Okay. I didn't re read that per se, um, but that's what I would assume. because what that was, was implied. Yeah, that was kind of implied is okay. like that's what they were kind of filling in for because like the minor leagues would kind of take up that time. Mm -hmm. um, so now we have the girls playing. Um, this is also, it's interesting, they chose to host these teams in cities that were more industrial towns. This is a very Midwest thing, so that is very accurate to the mm -hmm. movie. Um, these towns had a lot of factories, and they had a lot of factory workers who were already there and then coming in to help with the war effort. They figured this would be a good place to go because it was guaranteed attendance, and it gave the people working the most, you know, something to do after work. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, because they were doing absolutely grueling shifts in the factories um, to help with the war effort. And Which is so, also mindless work. Yes. Like, it's repetitive. So, like, if it gives you something to think about, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so that's why they decided to make it in the Midwest. So, with Ken Sells acting as president of the league, tryouts began at Wrigley Field in Chicago. Almost 300 women tried out many of whom were invited after a team of people went all over the U.S. and Canada to scout players. But only 60 women were invited to stay and play in the league. And of those women, of course, no black players were allowed, and players had to fit what was seen by marketers as a wholesome feminine ideal. And to ensure that the players that were chosen were up to snuff, Wrigley contracted with Helena Rubenstein's Beauty Salon <laughs> to meet with the players at spring training. So after their daily practices, the women were required to attend at Rubenstein's evening charm school classes. The proper etiquette for every situation was taught, and every aspect of personal hygiene, mannerisms, and dress code was presented to all the players in an effort to make each player as physically attractive as possible. <laughs> each player also received a beauty kit and instructions on how to use it. <laughs> and... I looked up on the AAGPBL website. You can see the exact rules that they had to abide by. And it was so strict, especially for, like, as soon as you are done playing, like, you have to take a shower. You have to do this. You have to put deodorant on. Like, just, like, things that they probably do anyways. Like, right. <laughs> but they were, like, very strict about them looking like ladies at every point. And I want to be clear, like, this is definitely super restrictive and terrible, but if somebody's going to give me a free makeup kit, like, please, makeup is so expensive. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Players were not allowed to have short hair, as we said earlier. 
They were not allowed to drink or smoke in public. They were not allowed to curse. Any social engagements had to be approved by the team chaperone. Curfew was two hours after the game, and they had to wear lipstick at all times. Nice. Lots of rules. <laughs> Fines for breaking these rules started around $70 in today's money. Wow. And even in their hotel, if they were caught wearing pants, they were not allowed to use the main elevator. They had to use the staff elevator. <laughs> I mean, look, they're, they're trying to cultivate an image here. <laughs> they are. And, of course, the emphasis on the feminine came with a cute new uniform, which we described in the physical portion. Mm -hmm. This cute little number was designed, actually, by Philip K. Wrigley's wife. Oh, cool. I did not realize that she designed it. And it was meant to, of course, emphasize the fact that these were ladies playing. But baseball is not a sport that one should be playing in a skirt. The scene in the movie where you see the huge, terrible bruise on the girl's thigh, that was a very real thing that happened to these players. They were like... We were not diving into the base. We were sliding on our legs. Like, our legs looked terrible. I'm sure. They were probably cut up. So the first four teams in the league were the Racine Bells, the Kenosha Comets, both both based in Wisconsin, the Rockford Peaches in Illinois, and the South Bend Blue Sox in Indiana. Teams consisted of 15 players, a manager, a business manager, and a woman chaperone (laughs) to keep the ladies in line. You know, you have to have a chaperone. You must. It was believed that by acquiring notable men's sports figures as managers for the girls' teams, there would be greater curiosity and interest by the public. So the first managers selected were Johnny Gottslig, Bert Niehoff. Um, They were both former major league players, and um, one was a minor league manager. Josh Billings, former major league player, and Eddie Stumpf, former Milwaukee Brewers catcher. So Jimmy Dugan, played by Tom Hanks, was not a real person. He was actually a combination of famous ball players Jimmy Fox and Hack Wilson, who both had their promising careers marred by alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jimmy Fox did end up managing one of the teams, uh, but not in the first season. So the first game was played on May 30th, 1943, and the girls ended up playing 108 games from May to September that year. (laughs) That's like professional baseball now. The team to win most games during the regular season was declared the pennant winner, and the top teams then competed in a series of playoff games to uh, to determine the league champion. At the end of the 1943 season, the Kenosha Comets played a five-game series against the Racine Bells for the championship. <laughs> Racine won and became the first world champions of the All-American Girls Baseball League. <laughs> that is a lot of baseball for just four teams to be played. <laughs> this is, it's like Quidditch, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> You're like constantly paired against each other. And like you, at that point, you know, everybody's strengths and weaknesses and the games become more strategy than actual ball games. Oh yeah. And to add to this, um, they kept sw- like trading players mid season because they made the teams, but they really didn't get an idea of like who was good at what until the season really got going. So the, in the movie when they're kind of trading a few players, that was a very real thing that mm. happened because you'd start playing and you'd be like, oh, actually, this team is dominating a little too much. Like, why don't we split these people up? <laughs> and because the league was one overseer, they could do that because everything was internal mm-hmm. to make it smooth. It's like in PE class when your teacher makes the two best players the team captain. Exactly. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's purposeful. Um. And the overall assessment of the first year of play was encouraging. The teams were well-received by fans in the four sponsoring cities. Attendance was tracked at 
176,612 fans for the 1943 season. Wow. National League officials, the press, and baseball fans across the country were amazed at how well the women played ball and by the enthusiasm and support the teams received in their host cities. Wait, um, are you sure that, like, female sports can get spectators? No, I think that they're lying. Okay. I think the AAGPBL website was completely wrong. Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> they're just a bunch of big liars. Phonies! <laughs> um, but... There was, after the first season, a big kerfuffle about the name of the league. So in the movie, the girls pitched overhand, but in reality, they were predominantly pitching underhand, and they were using 12-inch softballs, and the infield distances were shorter. So they were, I mean, because all these girls were softball players. Right. They had never played pitch, baseball. Yeah. Um, so... But they also played by baseball rules, including having the ability to steal bases. So this made it a weird combination of softball and baseball. So they're like, well, we'll just call it baseball because, like, that's really the rules that we're playing. But people kind of got mad because they're like, well, it's not true American baseball because they're pitching underhand and the balls are bigger. So they changed it to the All-American Girls Ball League for a little bit at the end of the first season. Hmm. But in 1945, changed it back to include baseball because in 1945, more pitchers started pitching overhand and used, and they switched to baseballs rather than softball. So they did eventually make that switch. Okay. Um, but it wasn't for uh, two years. But regardless of all the stupid name stuff, the new league was proving to be pretty popular with the ladies, box scores even appearing right alongside the men's scores every week in the newspaper. Uh, and again, the teams were mostly well-received, uh, but they were definitely more popular the smaller the town was um, because they just had smaller stadiums. So they also said if the actual physical space they were playing in was smaller, people were closer to the players so they could see them better and mm -hmm. interact with them more. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of felt more connected to them. And if it was a smaller field, they could actually be hitting home runs and stuff because it, depending on how big the field was, it's like, <laughs> and that's what makes it exciting, you know? Yeah. So, but I thought that was really interesting. Uh, two more teams were added to the 1944 season, the Milwaukee Chicks and the Minneapolis Millerettes, uh, with the Chicks taking the championship that year. And of course, with any league, you have a couple of standout stars. Our girl Dottie Henson, as portrayed by Gina Davis, was a combination of a few different ladies, but the main inspiration was first base player Dorothy Dottie Kamenchek, who did indeed play for the Rockford Peaches. She played in the AAGPBL for 10 seasons and was selected as, as an all-star all seven times that they hosted all-star games. Wow. She struck out only 81 times in 3,736 at-bat appearances. Oh, my God. That's incredible. That's an incredible stat. I mean, it's unheard of. Yeah. She is considered one of the best athletes of her time. She was even recruited by a men's team from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, but she was like, I kind of feel like they only want me for the publicity, and she turned down the offer. Former New York Yankee Wally Pipp said that she was the most accomplished player he had ever seen among men or women. Wow. <laughs> um, but, of course, she was not a catcher. Uh, 
unlike Gina Davis, uh, but there was a Rockford Peaches catcher um, named Dottie Green. But she was not quite as prolific as Dottie Kamenchak, um, who some people also called Cammy, which I think is very cute. Um, I love a good last name, how they do that mm-hmm. in baseball. You can really, yeah. really do it up. But I do think it's there, it's funny because there were a lot of Dorothys, so there were a lot of Dotties in the league, <laughs> which kind of made it confusing because I saw another couple of women that they're like, well, she's actually named after like Dottie so-and-so or Dottie this and that. And it's like, there are too many. Um, we got to get back to the Dottie. <laughs> but other another great thing about the league was that these women were making pretty good money. Hmm. Girls made between $45 and $85 a week, which is about $650 to $1,200 in today's money. That's a lot. Yeah, it's pretty good. But it's also kind of doesn't feel like as much because they're not working a simple 40-hour week because they had to spend a considerable time in charm school in the evenings and, of course, practice on top of their 108 games. And often they'd play double headers because they're like, well, these workers have off during the day and these you know ones have work at, off work at night, so we want all the workers to be able to see the games. So these girls were playing a lot of baseball. <laughs> and were they living in homes together, kind of like they showed in the movie, like where they're travel or only when they're traveling around? No. So they would stay in hotels when they were traveling. Um, but when they were in their home city, mm-hmm. uh, they were mainly in uh, like separated into different families that were hosting them. Oh, I see. And that was specifically to cut down on rumors that there were lesbians in the league. I see. They didn't want to give them any opportunity to <laughs> like right for people to pick pick holes in the armor exactly um so yeah so it's not quite like because in the show and the movie they portray them like all in the same house and it's mm-hmm. mainly just for like plot point because like it's they all easier. have to be together <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh but no but mainly they would be hosted by families in town okay interesting um but champions were given sizable bonuses the first place team members got two hundred and twenty eight dollars which is like thirty two hundred dollars in today's money that's yeah. a big bonus um thankfully however as the game became more like baseball in 1945 the charm school was discontinued so they didn't have to do that anymore thank god <laughs> and as the league progressed and fans got more devoted men started to show up by the locker room to get the players autographs and then they started to show up at girls hotels too just to get a chance to meet them they called these guys Clubhouse Clydes or Locker Room Leonards. I love a good alliteration. Please, Clubhouse Clyde? Who would you prefer, a Clubhouse Clyde or a Locker Room Leonard? Probably a Clubhouse Clyde yeah. because I do not want Leonard in the locker room. No, that's actually, yeah, that's right. He's like a peeping Tom at that point. Yeah, I don't like that. And it's so funny because these guys would, like, come to their hotel room and they'd be, like, shouting at them through the window. But obviously the girls are, like, very strictly monitored. So sometimes they would throw their bras down from the hotel window. (laughs) Bras are expensive. Come on. Don't do that. Um, But they were largely single women, correct? Young single women? Or were many of them married? It was a combination. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of women in the league, so it... It really was a good combination, but I think a lot of them were, like, young single ladies. Got it. Um, I'm single ladies. <laughs> Throw your bras out. Exactly. <laughs> but as we've come to find out about the AAGPBL, not all of the players were interested in Clydes or Leonards. <laughs> we obviously don't know how many women exactly were engaged with rom- in romantic relationships with one another, but evidence suggests that it was a significant amount. One clear p- queer player once said, 
Out of 650 players, I bet you 400 were gay. <laughs> when Penny Marshall made her movie in 1992, there were some undertones, especially with Rosie O'Donnell's character, which I think Rosie was like, I kind of put those in. Like, yeah. <laughs> Penny was not pleased. Um, but Rosie said they just weren't allowed to do anything like that, you know, in the narrative. Because, like, the movie would have been, I mean, they it just wouldn't have been allowed to make it. Yeah. Um, so in 2022, when Amazon released its A League of Their Own series, it was a relief to see a more accurate representation of the league and the different types of people who would have been involved. First off, of course, are the queer characters who are as distinct and interesting as the real women they are based off of. And when the show was being released, a former player who is currently 96 years old got to come out for the first time on stage oh, in her 90s. That's so great. Maybell Blair, a.k.a. All the Way May, was a pitcher for the Peoria Red Wings and described how she felt as a teenager when she started to have crushes on girls. She thought, oh my gosh, Maybell, what's wrong with you? She said, because I had a crush on this girl in high school and finally we had had a little thing, you know, how you do. But she said, I felt like I was the only queer person in the world. That is, until she joined the Red Wings. She said her teammates accepted her immediately and even took her to a gay bar for the first time. That's against the rules, I think. Mm -hmm. she the said ones that the, I heard. Yes. She said it was the happiest time of her life. Yeah. And that was a very real thing. So that's depicted in the show. They, they did have a lot of kind of underground gay bars and they would get raided and it was dangerous yeah i mean it, being gay it was dangerous still is dangerous yeah mm -hmm. um but when the league ended and she wasn't surrounded by a group of accepting people she had to be even more careful she said at the screening i hid for 75 85 years and this is actually basically the first time i've ever come out <laughs> which i love i just I think it's great. Another great representation featured on the Amazon show was the presence of Latina players. So there were a few light-skinned light Latina women who were allowed to play in the real league. I see. The character of Este was inspired by Cuban player Isabel Alvarez. Isabel joined the league in 1949 when she was 15 years old mm. and often felt isolated because she couldn't speak any English. But thankfully, there were a few other players who could translate for her including a catcher who was Mexican named Marga Villa, who inspired Lupe Garcia. The last great change in representation in the Amazon show was the character of Max. She is a great black player who they won't let try out for the team, and we see her journey with working at a factory and eventually linking up with the Negro League. Mm. And this would have actually been the case. As we said earlier, black women were not allowed to try out, and even after the color barrier in men's baseball was broken, the AAGPBL gave the excuse of, we just can't find any black women who could play. And even if we did, no one would come to see them because they don't fit the bill of the all-American girl. But thankfully, women like... Quote, all-American. Yep. <laughs> but thankfully, women like Mamie Peanut Johnson still went on to have careers in the game even after being turned away from tryouts. Mamie was called Peanut because she was just five foot three, and she was the second woman, the first being Tony Stone, to join the Negro League. She was a pitcher for the Indianapolis Clowns, whose deceptively hard fastball made her a household name. And she also threw a slider, a circle changeup, a curveball, a screwball, and a knuckleball. 
She was a very proficient pickpocket. Yeah, we should also point out that Tony Stone, there's a stage play about her now. Yes. Mm-hmm. We interviewed the author a long time ago. Don't remember that at all. Yeah, she not about the Tony Stone <laughs> book. We interviewed her about another oh, book really? that she was doing, and she mentioned at the end that her play was coming out in San Francisco about Tony Stone, and now it's like on Broadway. Oh my god! Yeah, I was like, "Whoa, you wrote this book and this play? That's very and cool. we talked to you. <laughs> That's very cool." Mm. So just if you're out there, yeah, <laughs> that's another really great female story. Oh, yeah. About the uh, Negro Leagues. Mm-hmm. So we can definitely see some of her character in the character of Max. Um, and she is even referenced in the 1992 movie. She is said to have inspired the woman who throws the ball back to Dottie. And it's like that moment where you're like, they just kind of look at each other and it's like, I wish you could play. It's like, yeah. I wish I wish I could too. <laughs> so we've obviously talked about the women who were involved with the league, the women who weren't in the league. <laughs> but overall, the AAGPBL went on for years, even after the war had ended. Hmm. They even expanded to eventually include teams such as the Fort Wayne Daisies, the Grand Rapid Chicks, the Muskegon Lassies, the Peoria Red Wings. <laughs> I'm sure I'm saying, is it Muskegon? Yeah, okay, Muskegon. Muskegon. The Chicago Colleens, the Springfield Sallies, the Kalamazoo Lassies, Battle Creek Bells, and then the Muskegon Bells. So I don't know if Muskegon had two different teams or they Maybe. renamed it. Who knows? Um, they had youth leagues for girls established. Teams in the AAGPBL would do tours in Cuba and South America, and a few teams got to play in big stadiums like Yankee Stadium in New York. They'd go out on tour. People really loved to watch these girls. There was even a plan to create an international league of girls baseball. Well, and I think this is just way different from the premise that everybody has in their brain. Right. That, like, it happened during the war and then it was immediately over. Um, yeah, it wasn't. Because what year did World War II end? 40. Wait, we entered it in 45. Mm-hmm. So before 1950. Yeah. Mm hmm. Definitely before. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it went, I th- that was something I really did not understand was that it went on for so long after the war, especially because in the movie, we only get to see one season. Well, yeah, and we also, we also talk so much about, like, the 1950s housewife. Like, what was the 1950s housewife? And you just don't picture baseball as a part of that. It's like this yeah. was kind of just, like, a side note in yep. history. Mm-hmm. Um. So everybody is really excited about the prospect of, like, there being, like, an MLB real equivalent for women. But the 50s brought a lot of changes to American life and to baseball. At the end of the 1950 season, team directors voted to purchase the AAGPBL from Arthur Meyerhoff, and they decided to operate their teams independently. But once the league became decentralized, it became disorganized. And the teams that had lower attendance now couldn't operate, Hmm. which was really unfortunate. And since the girls had started playing baseball rather than softball, teams didn't have the resources to train new recruits how to throw overhand with smaller balls and teach the rules. Because at this point, a lot of the girls had been veterans, but then... They started to bring more and more teams in, more and more girls, and it became harder to kind of be like, okay, forget everything you know. (laughs) We play a different game. And then there was another big factor, televised baseball games. Mm. One of the reasons the league was started in the first place was to entertain people while their team was away. But now 
they could just watch the game at home when their team was out in another city. Yeah. And I didn't, that was surprising to me that that was such a big factor because it's like, well, I don't want to miss my actual home team playing when I could watch it on the TV to go watch these girls that like, I don't really care about that much. Right. <laughs> so that's I, that technology is a big thing. I would not have thought about here. Yeah. I just didn't think about that as a factor, but it was a huge factor. Um, so in 1954, the ladies took to the field for the last time when the Kalamazoo Lassies won the final championship. The league lasted 11 years hmm. and gave over 600 women the chance to play professional baseball, a feat that really has not been met again. And the world largely forgot about this league and these women until 1980 when former pitcher June Peppas launched a newsletter project to get in touch with friends and teammates and opponents, and this resulted in the league's first reunion in Chicago, Illinois, in 1982. Then, after a few years, they started a petition to get the Baseball Hall of Fame to recognize the All-American Girls Baseball League. And once they knew the museum was interested, they set about collecting artifacts from the Players Association. They got uniforms, photographs, balls, scrapbooks, equipment, printed materials, and other just things associated with the AAGPBL. And in the fall of 1988, the exhibit opened. On a normal day, the museum saw about 400 visitors per day. When this exhibit unveiled, and yes, it was unveiled. Yes. <laughs> they Did were like, they pull an old dusty sheet off of it. They were like, can we have like a curtain open up? And they're like, we don't normally do that, but okay. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> there were 1,200 people there, including many former players and their families there to support the long awaited inclusion of women in the history of American baseball. 10 year old, or sorry, 10 year old, 10 year veteran player Pepper Davis said, some people will think that because we aren't men and never played against men that we don't belong. But none of us ever wanted to compete against men. That wasn't the point. It's so hard to explain. We deserve this. Baseball was our lives. And Shirley Berkovich said of the exhibit, that had to be the biggest event of my baseball life. Oh. Next to my first spring training in 1949. <laughs> <laughs> The 1992 movie and now the 2022 show, uh, both called A League of Their Own, have now helped solidify the memory of this league in pop culture. And thanks to the incre increase in representation, we just keep finding out more and more about these incredible women. And even though Tom Hanks insists that there's no crying in baseball, there is a lot of crying when talking about baseball uh -huh. and the women who had an impact on it. Yay! <laughs> Oh, what a great story. I know. There's so much there that I did not know, like, I know. or expect. I agree. And it's one of those things I was like, how much do I get into, like, the real players? Like, how many of them do I mention? It was kind of hard. So I kind of just chose to talk about the Dotties who inspired Gina Davis's character. But there were so many other women who were just, like, really fucking cool in the league. Yeah, and I think it's one of the reasons that, like, I both love and hate doing these group episodes. Mm -hmm. We kind of have to leave people to do a little bit of research on their own, like, yeah. if it if it piques your interest. But, mm -hmm. like, if you're good with the, the overview, yeah. <laughs> here it is. Here you go. No crying in baseball, Katie. All right. I well, cry in every sport, yeah. so. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be right back.
I couldn't, I couldn't decide on something for the group. Yeah. It's a tough, t- it's a task. Yes. This is a lot. So this, and we're each only going to drink one. So please, if you make cocktails with us, don't feel pressured to make all of them. No, just yeah. make your favorite type. Yes. <laughs> so you want to know what you're drinking? I do. Uh, this is called the Girl Power Mimosa Flight. When five become one. <laughs> And Sporty Spices is grape juice, blue carousel, blueberries, topped with champagne. Baby Spice is strawberries, orange juice, and champagne, the traditional. Mm-hmm. Ginger Spice is simple syrup, cranberry juice, champagne, pineapples, and an actual ginger. Yep. Posh is amaretto, white cranberry juice, blackberries, and champagne. Ooh. And then Scary Spice is a fresh habanero chili pepper, grapefruit juice, and champagne. I love it. <laughs> Just pick one. What are you going right. to pick? I mean, the closest one to me is this one with the cute little pepper. So on you're it. Scary so Spice. I'm scary Spice. Uh, I'm going to do Posh because she was my favorite growing up. So my white cranberry juice. Mmm. Delicious. That's delightful. Yeah. I'm going to try the ginger. Okay. I'll, she was in an episode of Sex and the City. Of course. I'll do Sporty. Mm. Great. I don't have a lot of grape juice except for in yeah. wine. And then I think we all know what baby spices taste yeah, like. It's just a good. just a normal mimosa yeah. at that point. Mm. Man, so we're going to be so dehydrated after this. Yeah, this is, um, <laughs> Sugar This <up>. is a lot. <laughs> too much. Too much, Allie. Too far. Okay, what do you know about the Spice Girls? Hmm. So, I know that they were a girl group mm-hmm. in the 90s. Sure. Um, I know that, I mean, I don't know too much. I was not, they weren't, they were like a, a little early. Before you, They were a little before me. Um, I'm so sad to say I've never even seen Spice World. What? Which is tragedy. Um, God, what a great movie. I obviously know like a couple of their hit songs. I, again, know that Ginger Spice was in an episode of Sex and the City. I love Posh. I love Victoria Beckham. She's amazing. I think she's fantastic. Um, I hate that people accuse her of not being able to sing. That makes me yes, really super upset. rude. Um, so I would love to direct people's attention to a video of her singing live on stage for her husband. The way he is looking at her mm-hmm. gives me chills. Yeah. I can't. They are so cute. They're madly in love. Insanely in love. I just like. And their little family. I know. Like 1,800 children. They have so many kids. And an empire of cash. And like, did she birth all of them? Yes. That's unreal. She's Mommy Vicky. I, I just, I love her. And I kind of feel like because she was like labeled posh that like mm-hmm. people think she's very cold. And yes. Like, yeah. I feel like she's warmer than people give her credit for. I and I did listen to an interview with her a while ago where she talked about like how it was in the early days. And she was like... We were very clear from the start that we wanted it to be very equal. You know, we all wanted to, you know, really make this about like girl power, mm-hmm. you know, and we wanted to sing our own songs and like write our own songs. And it was just like very cool. So I'm excited to really get into like the group's history because I only know like little bits and pieces. Yeah, it's such a great story. So I, this was a little early for Katie, but this was right in oh, my yeah. wheelhouse. I was in middle school. I had um, their first album I had on cassette tape. That's how old it was. And I used to like unfold that thing in the front that oh, had yeah. all the lyrics and like mm-hmm. read them and like copy them over into notebooks. And like oh, I saw Spice World in 
theaters. Um, I had t-shirts. I had scrunchies. I thought they were so cool. Posh was my favorite because I was like, I will never be that cool. That's yeah. why she was my favorite. Yeah. I feel like the others were a little attainable. Yeah. I could never be a ginger either, but no. okay. Um, I, there, if you go on YouTube and type in Spice Girl documentary, there are several two hour documentaries. Oh, wow. So I need you to know that I narrowed this down to make it attainable. Just mm-hmm. like we said with Katie's, like mm-hmm. a group of women is very hard to cover. The one I watched is Inside the World of the Spice Girls. And then obviously my years of collecting articles, magazines, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So in the early 90s, a guy, two guys named Bob and Chris, they were father and son management team of heart management, decided that it was time to come up with a girl group to compete with the very, very popular 90s trend dominating London and the U.S. of mm-hmm. boy bands. Mm-hmm. So... With a financer, they envisioned uh, an act comprised of five strikingly different girls who would appeal to different audiences. Now, I'm not sure how true this is. I think those men said that retroactively. Yeah. That they were like, oh, wow, they're all so different because Mm -hmm. we will see later on when the like different spices start to filter Mm -hmm. in. I don't think this was purposeful. Yeah. Um, A lot of people see this group as a like quote-unquote like Simon Cowell creation you know like how he built One Direction just held auditions and the people didn't know each other and blah Mm -hmm. blah blah it's not really like that they are creators in and of themselves Mm -hmm. and we're going to slowly see how they come into their own Mm -hmm. as artists as opposed to just somebody financing everything and telling them what to wear and what to do yeah it was like five Harry Styles in one group instead of like a one direction where, uh-huh. you know, you've got that one breakout. Yeah. Okay. So in 1994, heart management places an advertisement in the paper asking for singers to audition for a London pop group. Approximately 400 people show up March 4th, 1994. They were placed in groups of 10 and taught a dance routine that they had to do and sing all together. And then they each got to sing their own individual song that they brought and had prepared to sing for the, you know, the people they're auditioning for, the panel. Well, that's why I like want people, like I hate when people say that Posh can't sing. It's like she literally had to have been able to sing and because dance. there were and- 400 women coming to audition. Like they are not just going to pick her because like, I'm sure that there were other like beautiful young women there who had a lot of talent. Yeah. Like there were so there were 400 women there. Yeah. And after that first audition and weeks of deliberation, Victoria Adams at the time, Mel B, Melanie Brown, Mel C, Uh, And Michelle Stevenson were among 12 women who were advanced to the next round. They get a call back for auditions. Mel C., who goes on to be Sporty Spice, um, couldn't come to the second audition because she had tonsillitis. So she had to skip it. And then despite not being in at the first round because she didn't know about it, Jerry Hollowell, who's Ginger, kind of talked herself into the the call back she was mm-hmm. like can I please come audition I didn't know about the first one yeah um so after the second audition Victoria Mel B Jerry and Michelle are asked to attend another recall um and then Mel C was asked to attend last minute because th- another finalist dropped out <sighs> Whoa. 
So these five women are selected for the band originally called Touch. Huh. Not as good of a name. (laughs) (laughs) The group moved in together into a three-bedroom house in Berkshire and spent most of 1994 practicing songs that were written for them. According to Michelle, the songs were aimed at a very young audience and they were not used um, for the Spice Girls in the long run. Mm Mm-hmm. During these months, they worked on making demos uh, of the songs that were given to them, but they were tasked with making their own choreography. So from the beginning, they are making up their own dances. Just a few months in, Michelle Stevenson was fired, though. So you might not recognize the name Michelle Stevenson because she was in the original group of five selected. Um, And she was fired for perceived lack of commitment. But if you can imagine, you go from your normal everyday job, you go to this audition, and all of a sudden you're uprooted. You're living with five girls in a house, and all you're doing is singing and dancing all day. That's a big change. It's a big change. Yeah. So she's fired. They call another girl. She turns it down. And that's when we get Emma Bunton in replacement for Michelle. As they continue to grow, who Emma is Baby Spice. For people who aren't well-versed, I'm sorry. I should put, Thank like, you for clarifying. I am not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I should probably, I should probably done this, like, at the top. Victoria is posh. Mel C is sporty. Jerry is ginger. That's an easy one. Yeah. It's an alliteration. Mel B is scary. And Emma is baby. Okay. Perfect. So now we all know. <laughs> sorry, everybody. As they continue to grow and practice, they perform these small showcases for different agents. And on one occasion, the girls put a small rap break that they wrote into a song. The songwriter is furious. Like, this sucks. It's terrible. But then they're like, kind of agent people. The heart management is like, okay, we're going to insist if you're going to do this, that you take songwriting lessons Mm -hmm. so the girls start professional songwriting lessons during one uh a session they wrote a song called sugar and spice which inspired the new name at this time just spice so they now have their own dances learning how to write their own songs and have now come up with their own name I love that they just took it over. They're slowly (laughs) bulldozing this company, which is wonderful. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) By late 1994, you have a group of five women living together in London, writing their own songs, making their own dances, and they feel insecure because there's no official contract with heart management. They don't have anything signed on paper. They just, like, brought them on to do this, and that's really frustrating to them, so they pressure heart management to put on a showcase so somebody can sign them they bring in industry uh writers and producers and etc and the reaction is so positive yeah everybody in the room is like you you you've struck gold this is amazing so heart management quickly draws up a very binding contract for them but they don't get overwhelmed and just sign it they read it they take it to victoria's dad and he reads it And he says, don't sign this. And all five of them agree to not sign the contract. I'm obsessed with them as this unified front. Mm -hmm. I love it. They're (laughs) very, very cool. I'm just like, let's be clear here. When they start this band, Emma's the youngest, Baby Spice. She's 18. Mm -hmm. And Jerry's the oldest. She's 22. So to have the foresight to be like, let's take it to your dad, Victoria, who must be involved in law in some way, and have him look at the contract, that's just to not get overexcited. And sign your life away. Mm -hmm. It's really smart. Yeah, it is. 
So by January 95, um, they are still going to these songwriting sessions. And in one session, they sit down and write Wannabe and Two Become One. Oh, my God. These girls wrote it together. And at that, they left heart management. They were unwilling to listen to their ideas. They wanted control of their work. And they even allegedly stole the master recordings of them from early on from the management office. Unconfirmed. I love Unconfirmed. (laughs) (laughs) So they're working for themselves, moving away from the original guys. And this is so important to music. Taylor Swift gets so many accolades for this, which she should. Mm -hmm. But I also, like, I want to point out that this happened in the early 90s and the Spice Girls took complete control of themselves. Yeah. Which is very cool. Yeah. So for the next couple months, they're just using the contacts that they made while they were at heart management. They are writing songs. They're trying to find a good production team. They're recording demos. They're making dances. They're building their group up from the ground up. And Jerry says in an interview later on, five girls living together in a small three-bedroom house outside London was lots of fun. Albeit tricky at times. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> because like I said earlier, she was the oldest at 22. And she was the only one who had really experienced living on her own before. So oh. she kind of became like the bossy mom of the group that is like, okay, now who left their dishes in the sink? You know, like you. And there's only three bedrooms. So two people are sharing and one person isn't. Like there's a lot going on there. Yeah, that's yeah, that's difficult. Um, I mean, it would be hard for any five people any five strangers Mm -hmm. (laughs) to come together and then you have to also work together like they're spending every second of their lives together every second every day like good and bad that's like a that's a partner style relationship not a colleague or a friend Mm -hmm. um so eventually their demos catch the attention of 19 entertainment who's going to go out and get them signed by a music industry so now they're like we're going to help you it took one year for them to get somebody else to take notice by this point industry buzz was big around them and major los angeles and london labels want to sign them um they went on a promotional tour in la and their name went from being spice to spice girls because there was a rapper named spice so they couldn't take that and then they get referred to as the spice girls kind of like the ohio state university (laughs) (laughs) it's like you are the you're the only one Mm -hmm. They go on eventually to be signed by Virgin Records. So they get a huge, huge record deal. Uh, And the Spice Girls' names, the individual girls, are what Scary Spice says were coined by lazy journalism. This one guy didn't know their names and was writing about them and was like, this one was kind of posh and this one was kind of babyish and this one was kind of sporty. And the name stuck from this one journal article. What? Yeah, they didn't come up with that. That's so crazy to me. Yeah. Especially because, like, I mean, Posh just, especially her. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the other ones, like, you kind of maybe know their yeah. like, names a little bit more. But, like, I don't know. That's really wild. <laughs> it is. Uh, th- so then it's just, like, it's stuck for the individual girls. And what a great marketing tactic. Oh, yeah. Perfect. And that's why I don't think the original guys are like, we wanted five vastly different women. It's like, no, you no. didn't. You had no idea what you were doing. No. That's why they left you. I also feel like this was such a thing because, like, especially with, like, young women like consuming culture it's like you always want to be someone particular in the group like you want to be a particular powerpuff girl or a Uh sex in the city character or a spice girl so like 
it's totally fitting with like right. their demographic right it's like are you rachel monica or phoebe yeah, like exactly. who are you it's like it's fun it's like a cute little personality <laughs> mm-hmm. test um okay so i do want to introduce you to the girls a little bit emma bunton was born january 21st 1976 she was a child catalog model and appeared on uh, a couple british tv shows here and there Victoria Adams was born April 17th, 1974, and was just obsessed with music and fashion, which now she's gotten to really explore the world of fashion, so Mm -hmm. good for her. Mel B. was born May 29th, 1975, loved dancing and had a teen modeling career. Melanie C. was born January 12th, 1974, and she was a teen gymnast. This Hmm. is Sporty Spice, so she was on like a really accomplished... she was, actually. Yes, an athlete. (laughs) Because they... We'll get there. They get to pick their clothes. Okay. Stop. Okay. She was a teen gymnast and was in her high school drama club, so was an experienced actor. And then Jerry Hallowell, born August 6, 1972, was pursuing entertainment while she worked on stage as an assistant for a Turkish TV game show. So all these women were, like, obsessed with the industry. Yeah. It mm-hmm. didn't just, like, come to be. So then... The ladies released their first album with their debut single, Wannabe, in the UK. And if you kind of remember the way songs used to come out, or kind of like it does on YouTube now, you release one song at a time, and then the album comes out a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So they're releasing Wannabe in the UK. In the weeks before, they released the music video for Wannabe, which they did in one take. (laughs) It was their choreography. It was their clothes. And they release it. Now, when it went to be released in the United States, they asked it to be less risque, like sexy it down a little bit. And they said, this is our video and it's what we wanted. Up, oh. Release it or don't. <laughs> release it or don't. If you want the music, sorry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the video was an instant hit in London and was aired up to 70 times a week. Which airtime back then, there wasn't cable and streaming. There were like five channels. (laughs) The Wannabe goes to number one on the British charts for multiple weeks. uh, And that's when American record labels are like, okay, (laughs) let's have a look-see. The song Wannabe hit number one in over 37 countries, including four consecutive weeks on the Billboard Top 100. The best-selling, it is the best-selling debut uh, single by an all-female group but also the best-selling single of a female group of all time any female of all time it's the best-selling single (laughs) the message of wannabe is actually pretty risque saying i'm gonna tell you what i want yeah if you don't want my friends if you don't want my sex life Mm -hmm. if you don't like my attitude you can't come out in public and be embarrassed by me and tell me to act different Mm -hmm. you have to like me for me which was very different to the way that women were taught to act in the 90s the girl power vibe is obviously huge with four very different women all representing a different type of femininity the message the message was women empowerment and equality way ahead of its time when we're hitting this early 90s new wave of feminism Mm -hmm. that is like just broaching like the girl power wave um and they weren't also not afraid to lose money for their political opinions they were one of the first singing groups of this time obviously people like the beatles did this but that were very outspoken about issues yeah they would during interviews bring up political issues and they didn't care if people wouldn't buy their stuff because they didn't agree they're like that's fine um, and I think, I think it is, I do want to say that like their powerful femininity and fun was very ahead of its time, but definitely flawed at times too. Oh, yeah. You know, like we've grown yeah. since then as a people, you can't like take everything they did as like gospel truth. Mm-hmm. 
So another thing that really set them apart was the idea that you had to be a 90s girl next door trope. The idea was to be beautiful. You had to look like the girl next door. But they had different girls with different archetypes. And the idea that five different women could be friends and not compete against each other mm-hmm. was just out of the realm of possibility. It was like there's the cool girl table and the goth girl table mm-hmm. and the this. And they were just like, we don't give a shit. Because yeah. they were actually best friends. Yeah. So it didn't matter. When Wannabe dropped... They were between the ages of 21 to 25. Mm-hmm. So they had been working on this for several years. They then quickly released To Become One, which was the second hit off of that album. By 96, the Spice Girls released their debut full album in Europe, Spice, and it drew comparison to Beatlemania, leading the press to call it Spice Mania and call them the Fab Five. <sighs> And it was an apt comparison because in seven weeks, Spice sold 1.9 million copies in Britain alone, making the Spice Girls the fastest selling British act since the Beatles. (gasps) That's very cool. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I love that so much because people, I think, respect the Beatles so much. Yeah, they do. And they just don't respect the Spice Girls, which is so distressing Mm -hmm. because they're women. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So it ends up selling a total of altogether 3 million copies in Britain um, and is the best-selling female album in Britain of all time. So 1997, Wannabe gets released in the United States and it brings the Spice Girls to the general public of American pop consumption. It's the highest ever debut album for a non-American song beating I Want to Hold Your Hand. Wannabe. Beat I Want to Hold Your Hand. I want to repeat that. Um, It's also the joint highest debut of um, like a debut artist Mm -hmm. alongside Alanis Morissette's Ironic in the U.S. Eventually, it sold 23 million copies worldwide, and the album was the highest selling album by an all-female group of all time and still is. Later that month, the Spice Girls performed Who Do You Think You Are at an award show. Great song. If you don't know it, look it up. Jerry is wearing her famous Union Jack mini dress that becomes one of pop history's most famous outfits. And like this is in the same time frame that they are um, they beat the Jackson five for like consecutive number one hits. So I want to talk a little bit about the Spice Girls fashion and them setting trends at this point in the 90s and a little before that. Girl groups specifically did this thing where they were all wearing different versions of the same outfit. Yeah. I'll do it in pants and a belly shirt. You do it in a skirt. You do it in a dress. I'll wear heels. You wear flats. And it was just like costumes. Almost like a bridesmaid situation. Yes. Where it's like you can pick your own dress, but it has to fit in these parameters. Like I'm thinking about like TLC and like Mm -hmm. they're all leather outfits, which like they're all kind of individualized, but they're all like black leather outfits. Exactly. They're all the same. Mm Mm-hmm. This was not the way with the Spice Girls. They weren't wearing costumes. Every performance, every video was a fashion showcase. (laughs) They inspired many trends that are still in style today. If you hold up a modern day magazine next to each one of the Spice Girls, you can see directly where the trend trickled down. Mel B, for example, the animal print Mm -hmm. is still on everything and has had a huge comeback. You guys just bought a leopard tank top from like walmart oh from old navy mm-hmm. oh well yeah because caroline has the same one mm-hmm. and it's just like it's out at places like old navy when this was like cutting edge yeah. with the spice girls it's like that scene from devil's wears prada where like the blue oh. filters down slowly mm-hmm. um and obviously her natural hair was ahead of its time mm-hmm. 
athleisure is the most popular thing that came out of the Spice Girls that is like on every influencer today. Like Sporty Spice was always in athleisure on stage. Huge, chunky sneakers, like dad sneakers were their thing. And they're so, so in. And then Jerry's Union Jack dress has been duplicated over and over even taylor swift wears like a version of the union jack like a really union jack on stage at one point oh my gosh so what happened was gucci gave jerry a black mini dress to wear and she decided to take a union jack hand towel that she had and stitch it (laughs) to the front and then stitched a peace sign on the back and yes that's how small this dress was it was the size of a hand towel. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and she paired it with tall red, like, pleather boots. Also, it- the audacity to be like, Gucci, I know that you made this, but, like, <laughs> I'm going to zhuzh it up. <laughs> they did not care. I mean, I feel like she's probably like, I can't wear black. That's Victoria's yeah. thing. <laughs> um, the dress eventually gets auctioned off, and Hard Rock Cafe bought it for 41,000 pounds, and it is the most expensive piece of pop star clothing ever sold at auction. Oh Not like Michael Jackson's <sighs> glove, Jerry Holloway's oh Union Jack. Oh, my gosh. I have to look up the original one. I want to see it. Um, It's on the pictures we just had in the <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> okay. The thing about the Spice Girls is, like we said, they were early on the girl power thing. It was... Not as popular 30 years ago as it is now. They wrote a book, their first one, called Girl Power, sold 200,000 copies in one day. And then they wrote another book called One Hour of Girl Power that sold 500,000 copies. Mm. What was very interesting is that they were this first group that was portraying friendship that different is not bad. And the five women said over and over again, like you said earlier in interviews, girls support girls. Mm -hmm. We love each other. And they were also saying things like, I don't need to be the object of your affection, but I will also dress sexy if I feel like it. Yeah. Which was not the 90s. The 90s was about purity rings. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, And and whether or not the star you were listening to was still a virgin. Yeah. Wasn't that the craziest shit that was ever on MTV? Yes. I mean, even the Jonas Brothers did that. I know. It was like such a big thing, like their whole purity ring saga. And uh, yes, I mean, that has... What a weird time. (laughs) Very, very weird. There was at one point some controversy in Great Britain because they did like a show for Prince Charles and like Jerry like kissed him on the cheek or something. And that seems very disrespectful. But again, they're the Spice Girls. I'm sure she sewed a Union Jack to the front of her dress. I don't think she gives a shit. (laughs) Then in Spice World, the movie is in the works. And this is a cult classic. Also, I need to point out they released one album and get a movie deal. This is not like at the end of their career. Right. <laughs> they released just the album with one or wannabe. Um, and they're also kind of working to create their second album at the same time, same time. And that led them to write the song stop, which is like about like giving, like, give me some time. I'm like a little overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, so the world premiere of spice world comes in the UK and it is such an interesting movie because it's a musical. Uh-huh. It's a mystery, and it is a huge satire that they are in on on their own personalities. So they are doing the campy style mm-hmm. of, like, I'm the baby one, and they're acting it up. Yeah. And it's like a movie within a movie parody. It is a piece of art, <laughs> this movie. <laughs> it is so good. And 
It got $100 million worldwide and is still considered a cult classic, mostly because they were in on the joke. Yeah. They knew what they were doing, and it wasn't making fun of them. It was, like, them showing you, like, we are strong, smart, educated women. We understand what's happening here. We're not stupid. So... Then they're asked to perform at the MTV Music Awards. They're gearing up to do it. And tragically, Princess Diana has a terrible accident and passes away. They go and perform at the Music Awards and they win an award. And Mel C. comes up to the mic holding the award and said, we'd like to dedicate this award to Princess Diana, who is a great loss to our country. Mm. And like, it's kind of. I think it's really great to remember that, like, she was a divorcee at that point, and like right. having this scandalous, like, love interest with these other people, and the Spice Girls were like really in support of her oh. as a hero. Mm. So then the girls, not like they were the only people yeah. who thought she was a hero. <laughs> everybody thought she was a hero. Famously, um, no one even gave flowers. At everybody her. <laughs> was like, "Fuck her." <laughs> she didn't help with anything. Yeah. Um, so then the girls are traveling for the movie Spice World and the album, and they do their biggest live performance in Istanbul to 40,000 fans <laughs> at this point. And then they meet Nelson Mandela, who calls them heroes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nelson. Come on. That's <laughs> insane. You're heroes. <laughs> if Nelson Mandela called me a hero, I would die on the spot. On the spot. That's outrageous. Somebody call me a hero. So. I- <laughs> So unfortunately, uh, their music was coming out in Britain a little bit before it was released in the United States, and that made their like first album and then their movie and second album come out so close together that everybody was just exhausted oh, by the Spice yeah. Girls. They were like, mm-hmm. too many commercials, too many songs, too much Spice Girls. Like People who didn't like them were frustrated with them. People yeah. who liked them loved it. Mm-hmm. And then they fire another manager. They're like, we didn't like the way he's doing. His last name was Fuller. Uh, And because of this, they start to get a lot of bad press in the news. They're like, now we're going to see them fall apart because he was the mastermind. Meanwhile, they're firing him because he's not listening to what they're saying. Right. And then Spice World um, gets released in the Chinese theater in America. So now they've got two albums best-selling. They've got a film They're doing world tours. They're on top of the world. It's 1998. They started this in 1994. Jerry abruptly announces that she's leaving the group and the press has a field day because she literally just bails out and is not at concerts. And like Mel C is like, oh, Jerry's feeling under the weather tonight. First, it was that creative differences. Then it was exhaustion. Then it was disillusionment. Um, later on, she said in an interview, it was kind of like, uh, you're getting on my nerves. I don't know how to talk through this with you. I can't hear you out. Um, and the, some people say it was a power struggle between her and Mel B. The four remaining said the group is going to carry on. And later Jerry said, my departure was quite immature. Oh no. Yeah. She regrets it. Uh, the way that it happened. Yeah, for sure. Um, because they're still great friends now, Mm -hmm. all of them. The schedule became too much after Jerry left with all the press and the group over and over talked about friendship and girl power. So this really hurt their image to make it look like there was infighting in the group. They did end up releasing a third album with just the four of them. Um, But by 1998, Mel C and Emma were accepting awards on stage without the other two because Mel B and Victoria had announced that they were pregnant. And then Mel B married like one of the background dancers and Victoria married David Beckham. And like 
there's these high profile weddings. There's just so much about them in the news. And all the girls are also kind of working on solo albums, but they're still going on a tour for this third album. But by 2000, it just kind of like fizzled out. Yeah. It was like their focus went from being entirely on Spice Girls as a group to being like, we're also women in our mid to late 20s now. We want to get right. married. We want to have kids. We want to settle down um, and kind of work on our own thing. So I do want to talk a little b- bit more about the girls' lives. Jerry Ginger Spice is currently 50 years old. She released a few solo albums, it was the guest host for X Factor, wrote two autobiographies, r- writes currently a series of children's books about Aww. girl power, and married Formula One racer Christian Horner. Emma Baby Spice is 47. She also had a great solo career with four albums to her name. Until 2018, she was a radio host in London, uh, in London called Heart, The Heart Breakfast Show. And she appeared on the reality show like that would help put those boy bands together. She was like oh, one of the coaches. Uh-huh. Um, she's married to a man uh, or not married. They're partners to a man named Jade Jones and they have two sons. Mel B is 48. Like we said, she married the background dancer and has multiple kids. Mel B, who was Scary Spice, had a U.S. reality show called It's a Scary World. She was famously on America's Got Talent and does a great job. She has multiple solo albums and starred on Broadway in Chicago. <gasps> Love that. She said it was hard to get the American accent down. Yeah. <laughs> Mel C is 49. She has multiple solo albums. Uh, since 1998, she's sold 20 million copies uh, and also works as a songwriter she's had 11 of her songs she's written on the uh top 10 charts wow um and this actually makes her the most successful in the solo music career wow Sporty Spice. and then obviously victoria adams now famously victoria <laughs> beckham is 49 she does have solo albums her fashion line is arguably more popular than her solo music but really her mark in fame is that she has started a Beckham business empire. Her and her husband have own multiple things. They have at least five kids together and just like a really living the life. Yeah. In 2007, all five girls held a conference with their intentions to reunite for a world tour. Each member was getting $10 million for the tour, which ended up being called Friendship Never Ends. And it was their first appearance on stage together. And it was at a Victoria's Secret fashion show. (laughs) Um, And their concerts ended up being the highest grossing concerts of 2007. (laughs) Because everybody was like, you're back! (laughs) In 2010, they won the best performance in 30 years for Wannabe and Mel B accepted the award on behalf of the group in 2012 they reunited again for a performance of wannabe at the closing ceremony of the london olympics and it wasn't announced ahead of time <gasps> and their performance had over 116,000 live tweets per minute <laughs> that it was up everybody's like oh my god the london olympics and the spice girls i, I saw that live i do remember that mm-hmm. it was the closing ceremony mm-hmm. that's wild in my head it was the opening ceremony that's because it was like everybody liked it more than the opening yeah. ceremony <laughs> oh but yeah that was that was exciting yeah <laughs> in 2016 emma mel b and jerry released like a 20th anniversary like teased news thing where they put out some behind the the scene stuff and victoria and mel c they didn't take part but they give their blessing yeah that's the thing all these girls 
own the Spice Girl name and share it. So anytime one of them is making a decision on behalf of the group, they have to meet and all sign off on it. So we think some people see it as infighting when one of them doesn't show up, but that's not how it is. They just have lives. You know what's so funny is it also kind of reminds me of like the whole, all like the Sex and the City stuff. Yeah. How like everyone it was like all the news about Sex and the City is like there's so much fighting on set. There's all this. There's all that. They're so catty. And mm -hmm. SJP was like, do you know how much they were fighting over on The Sopranos? We all film at Silver Cup Studios and they are fighting constantly. It happens. And nobody writes about that. Everyone wants us to be the catty ones. And really, other than Kim Cattrall, nobody else has a problem with one another. Yeah. <laughs> like, and Kim also is just like, I don't want to play this role anymore. Yeah, exactly. Which she is, has every right to do. She does. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's just people like the idea of it being catty between them. And it just isn't. Yeah. Um, they went again on another world tour in 2018. It was uh, not world tour. I guess it was like a UK tour. It was 13 cities throughout the UK. And this time it was Victoria was the one who sat it out. She said, I opted not to join. We had a big meeting and I'm actually a little sad about it. And I know I'll feel jealous when they're up on stage yeah. and feel a little bit left out because I'm always going to be a Spice Girl. Yeah. Like that's her start. She's not like one of those people who's embarrassed of where they started, which I think they paint posh like that a lot. Yeah. That she's embarrassed of being a Spice girl and that is not the case they are a hundred percent back like a 90s trend their music is used on tiktok all the time and obviously their outfits are too there was a 25th anniversary of wannabe in july 2021 with previously unreleased demos of the song in 2022 they released some alternate versions of spice up your life the video with footage that had never been released before um and really throughout the whole Spice Girls like phenomenon, friendship and girl power had been the message. And I think that that's a pretty incredible thing to build your empire on. They've been working towards this for a really long time by firing managers they didn't agree with, um, by learning how to write songs when they couldn't, by making their own dances, by choosing their own outfits. Um, it's made a lasting impression. I'm sure many, many more, but I found at least three present day musicians who attribute their success to loving music to them, including Lady Gaga, Adele and Beyonce have all mentioned them in things that like uh, interviews. Um, Emma revealed that every single one of them still has their glittery microphone <laughs> from like they bedazzled their microphones so from back in the day. And I think people all often belittle them, degrade them and infantilize them, especially because mm -hmm. they're like, quote, the Spice Girls. Um, but Jerry went on to say, Spice Girls is about unifying the world, every age, every gender, everyone. It's woman power. It's an essence. It's a tribe. And that's the Spice Girls. Ah, I love them. I also, I love that their message has been friendship. And I think that they're actually one of the most healthy versions of female. They're the shining beacon of what female friendship should be. It's like, so impressive. You know how like, Sometimes if there's like a, a big girl group that you're a part of and sometimes there are things that like you can't make it to or you can't afford and like it makes it and like and like people's lives change and sometimes you don't see each other as much as you would like to or like the dynamics shift and I think that some people are like, okay, well, I guess we're not friends anymore. And it's like, it doesn't have to mean that. They've been friends for <laughs> decades, decades now. And it's still going strong because I think that that's their friendship has evolved the way that it should. Right. Of like, we're all different. And that's also like the weird 
the message that's been going on this whole time too is like just because we're different because we have different careers now different lives doesn't mean that like the friendship has to end mm -hmm. and i love that like they're just all so in it together but also doing their own thing i yeah. think it's amazing it's such a great and i think people see them as so campy which is so unfair because what they're doing is so incredible yeah and yeah. like they're entrepreneurs yeah all right, well, let's talk about all these ladies in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. Hmm. There's I, a lot here. There is a lot. I want to also talk about time perception. If you were to ask who was together longer, <laughs> the American Girls Baseball League or the Spice Girls? Oh, yeah. I would have totally bet my whole life savings on that the Spice Girls were a group for longer than the American Baseball League. I wrote down the same thing. Yeah. That, like, the longevity of the Spice Girls was so short, but the memory of them is so wide. Mm -hmm. Whereas the longevity of, you know, the League of Their Own Ladies uh -huh. was so long, over a decade. Mm -hmm. And it's just like they got pushed aside until the 80s. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, they, the Spice Girls obviously had, like, their movie right away, mm -hmm. you know, which I think also kind of solidified it oh, and sure. you know a league of their own didn't come out until the 90s i mean like they didn't even have like a, a players association until the 80s yeah <laughs> decades after they ended and i think that's also a part of both of their stories is like the it was up to the women to make sure that their legacy was preserved mm -hmm. and it, it took a while for you know the women of the baseball league to get that done but like the spice girls i think had a vision for it ahead of time mm -hmm. they're like how can we give this the longevity that it deserves? Mm -hmm. And I love that idea. Absolutely. I think, too, they, they both had men and organizations around them telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, uh, the women in your story had to kind of fall in line or they would get fired or they right. weren't allowed to play. Whereas the Spice Girls continually had people trying to tell them what to do. And they kept being like, no. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. no dress code. We're not going to unsexify ourselves. Like, this is just who we are. Um, and I think it shows a really good evolution in human rights, actually, like towards a yeah. more positive, like women being allowed to make their own decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, I think clothes were such an important part of it because mm -hmm. obviously they were able to pick their own. And that eventually led to what made them so special is that they had their own style and you could pick which one you wanted to be. And with, you know, the girls of the All-American Baseball League, it's like, they literally all had to wear the exact same thing because it is a uniform. It's a team uniform, you mm -hmm. know, but it was so impractical and it's because they weren't listening to the women. So right. like they were literally getting injured because <laughs> they weren't allowed to make any decisions for themselves. Yeah. And although like, I think the girls in the baseball league got a little bit more power as time went on. Like they're like, we don't want the charm school anymore, you know? And I think like the chaperones got a little bit more loose. Cause like, I also read that, some of the chaperones were gay and like mm -hmm. so like they could also kind of they also kind of got what some of the women were were doing with sure. this time of independence you know um but yeah and i think that so like they gradually got like a little bit more power <laughs> but ultimately there's also too many women in the league mm -hmm. to you know because i wish that they had like a players association back then right like a group of women who like stood for all of them to be like this is what we want to do sure because i think that that's what the spice girls had was like they're like we're a small group of women you can't have the group without us and so we're just gonna stand together for what we want you know and i just think that's amazing and I like
like to, like as um people representing a country i think the idea mm. of being the all-american girl and like partaking in baseball and like really put you know putting your country's flag on your clothes yeah. like that brings a lot of pride yeah. to to i mean people in the uk loved it yeah they thought it was great mm-hmm. and i think like a lot of people in the 60s maybe wore mod dresses like that kind of mm-hmm. like loose fitting like flag dresses but i just think it was really nice because just i mean in maryland we love putting flags on shit oh we, we are big flag putter honors but mm-hmm. yeah it it was fun and i also like that they they didn't have to change themselves to be a part of the group like it's like a middle school classroom yeah. there are two melanies there's a mel c yeah and there's a mel b and there's a thousand dotties yeah like that's just, the names are just like okay here we are yeah everybody's naming their kids one thing yeah well i also i think the um idea of femininity in both these mm. groups is very interesting because femininity was very much forced on the girls in the baseball league yeah you said a wholesome feminine ideal yes. i wrote it down because i'm like oh <laughs> we didn't do that because i think that when Wrigley kind of had this idea he was picturing very beautiful young women you know that looked like models playing baseball and he was I think in his head he was like that's so cute and then like some of the women got there and they were like had muscles because they could fucking hit home runs out of the park and he was like oh but I don't want girls with like muscles and like girls with short hair and girls that look like men you know it's like or whatever I think that he was just not liking the diverse group of women that actually showed up to play that actually exist and that could actually <laughs> play baseball and and that's and like there are some women who were naturally feminine you mm-hmm. know and were you know were fitting into those ideals from the get-go mm-hmm. you had all types of women there um but then that meant that they had to force that one style of femininity on all the girls in this blanket scape i mean mm-hmm. and you can see from the movie her song was like, oh, my God, like, I have to wear a lipstick to a baseball game? Yeah. Like, I don't even wear that in my real life. Yeah. And the Spice Girls are on this kind of, like, opposite spectrum where it's, like, they're embracing this fun, like you said, like, campy, like, feminine attitude where, mm-hmm. like, it's, like, fun to look cute and sexy. And, like, you can look cute and sexy in athleisure. Yeah. And an <laughs> animal print. And, like, I just love that sometimes we can look down on – the league of their own idea of femininity and be like, that's putting women in a box, which like, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. But then I think we go to, I think sometimes it can be taken too far and it's like, well, if you dress in a mini dress, then that means like, you're not a feminist. Right. Which I also don't ascribe yeah. to. I think like, that that's fucking lame. Yeah. Like they're like, artists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they're, they're artists. And I, I liked how at the end of both of the stories, it's like they had gone away. They disappeared. And then we get this, like, unveiling, like you said, mm-hmm. of them in the Hall of Fame. And I think it was the same when they came back for their first world tour. How yeah. It was, like, the most, the highest grossing world tour in mm-hmm. 2007. That's over a decade since they broke up. Yeah. People wanted them and weren't given the opportunity to love them the same way as with um, these women playing baseball. Yeah. And I also think respect is a really big part of both oh, of their yeah. stories. Because, like... People don't respect them because they're women. There's literally no other reason for it because Mm -hmm. both sets of women are very, very good at their jobs. They're very talented and they can really do like neither of these groups were fakely or like artificially manufactured. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they went to tryouts and they made the team. 
these girls went to tryouts and made, made the squad. The <laughs> they just did the same That's exact it. thing. And it's frustrating that both groups of women are seen as like, you know, kind of um not real. It's like they're lesser than. So you were yeah. throwing underhand for some of it. So Yeah. So you don't really they didn't really call it baseball. <laughs> but yeah, and I just it's frustrating that like I think all these women deserve the utmost respect because they were genuinely talented and good at their jobs. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. This is not a, a job. fun thing that they're doing on the side. These were their careers. And I think that that kind of gets glossed over sometimes. Yeah. Like that I don't know. This is huge. <laughs> I don't know. It's really nice. I love it. I, I love both these stories. <laughs> Once a peach, always a peach. Mm-hmm. Once a spice girl, always a spice girl. It just is what it is. Uh, so who are you toasting this week? So I just want to toast girls who can be in a group and don't feel the need to copy their friends' behaviors. Mm. I would argue that my best friends are very different from me, all Mm -hmm. in very different ways. Uh, And I think it works together very well. And I don't feel the need to go out and buy the purse or the shoes that they have Mm -hmm. because I like the shit that I wear and they Mm -hmm. like me anyway. Mm -hmm. So just to being with people who are different from you. Cheers. How about you? I am going to toast the girls who played and the girls who weren't allowed to play but Mm. were just as fucking talented. Yay. Cheers. All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I think I mentioned this to you, but producer and I have been watching this Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary miniseries. Mm -hmm. It's so bananas. (laughs) And like it like I know there are some shitty things he's been accused of and they mm-hmm. go into that oh, they make good. very clear mm-hmm. that i know that he cheated on his wife mm-hmm. like they cover it all and they get his reaction to it like at present day at 75 years old like talking about it so i don't want to gloss over like he's the most amazing man that ever lived it is just a really interesting story yeah to come from austria literally right after world war ii to be like, I want to be a bodybuilder and do yeah. that. And then be like, I want to be a movie star and then do that. And be like, I want to be the governor of California and then do that. It's shocking. So it's great. I love it. I think it's good. They're like quick little episodes that like sometimes when we wake up hungover in the morning, we throw something on on like a Sunday morning and just mm-hmm. watch it. And then we get up and move along with our day. Mm-hmm. And I've just been like pretty impressed by his drive. He's one of those people who like, is on a hundred percent of the time and you're like how where did you find the time yeah to get that done so if it's something you're interested in we don't cover a lot of men's history so sometimes when i watch it i'm like where is my outlet to talk about this i know <laughs> so that's how i feel about arnold right now perfect <laughs> what are you liking um so i'm obviously going to recommend to watch both versions of a league of their own the series was so good and i recommended it a while ago um so go watch those and then fitting with uh because you know, I've already recommended both of those at mm-hmm. different times. So then I'm going to recommend a different baseball thing. The movie Damn Yankees. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's an old musical. I think okay. it's from like the 60s. And the plot of this musical is so bananas. Basically, this guy is a huge fan of his hometown team, which was mm-hmm. like the DC Commanders or whatever, or the Generals. I don't know. Something like that. And they are a terrible team. And so he decide, like he sells his soul to the devil to become the next big star of baseball, play for the commanders, and win the pennant. Perfect. That's the goal. And really the goal, though, is to beat the 
damn Yankees. Yeah. That's everyone's goal, honestly. <laughs> Sorry, Miss Krista. Sorry. I think she's a Mets fan, though. Maybe. I think Chris, I think Miss Krista's a Mets fan. Mm-hmm. Um, prove me wrong. Um, but anyways, so, and then it's like, it's just, it's such a good, weird fucking movie. I love stuff like that. It's just, a, I was like, who made a movie about, a musical about baseball and the devil? Outrageous. Um, but Same Gwen guy Gordon that said that it. the devil went to Georgia. Yeah. Bob Fosse does all the choreography and he makes an appearance in a musical number. Um, it's, the songs are so good. And then they got like legitimate, like 40 year old men to be playing the baseball players. Mm-hmm. So their choreography is literally just them walking around in one of the scenes. It's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, damn Yankees. It's so good. Highly recommend. Perfect. Well, between this week and next week, I'm going to be in another country and come back. Yes. So that so should be fun. That should be good. Um, next time, I don't know, I might be seeing more. But. Next week when I see you for this. Am I going to see you tomorrow? Maybe. Oh, right, 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 um, If I show up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if I deign <laughs> to come to your events. But yeah, you'll be post, post-Dominican Republic. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've got to do the research. Yeah. And then I've got to be in a wedding and fly to a different country and then yeah. back from a country. It's going to be great. And also, if you want to postpone, totally fine. Uh, no. <laughs> we got this. I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So join us next week. In the meantime, follow us everywhere. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you can. And if you want to hang out with us a little more, come join our Patreon for mm. as little as a dollar a month. Every time. You get to hang out and hear very personal stories from us. We love you. And we want you to never forget that well-behaved women have a multiple shades of mascara. Mm-hmm. And they rarely make history. Goodbye. Goodbye.